God, I pray that even now uh, we would sense your presence near us with your arms open wide, reminding us that there is no place too far. And God, we recognize today that there are many for whom this day is heavier than it should be. And God, we lift together up those who are working in hospitals today, the first responders who have been stretched too thin for too long. God, would you strengthen and encourage? Would you bring hope? Would you bring healing? God, thank you for their diligence, and I ask that you would sustain them. And then as we continue in worship now, would you come and would you open the word again for us today? Would we come face to face with you, soften our hearts, give us ears to hear? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when our son, Benjamin, was about 14 months old, he loved opening doors. Now, let me be clear, not any door, outside doors, really, was kind of his thing at that point. In fact, uh, he would spend hours at our sliding patio row door. Uh, he would open it, and then he would step outside, and he'd giggle, and then he'd turn, and he'd shut it. And then he'd open it, and then he'd step inside, and he'd shut it, and he'd giggle. And he would do that for so long. I mean, it would happen over and over, guys. I just, it was crazy. But here's the thing. That was his second favorite door in our house. His favorite door in our house was the front door. The, trouble only, the only trouble with that was that it required two people to play the game because it was too heavy a door for him. So he would stand on the inside and he would beg, outside, outside, outside. And so you'd open the door for him. This is my husband, Dennis. And he'd get himself outside in front of the door. Well, like, how many of you remember at 14 months old, it's all about I do it myself, right? Maybe some, you know, people who are familiar with toddlers around here. And so he would want you, he wanted to feel like he was opening the door. So you, you'd have to crack the door open just a little bit so that he could get himself into position. And then he would swing the door open himself as if he'd never opened the door before. I love this. And then he would look up with that adorable face, and he would say, hello. Look at that face. And you would forget that it was the 57th time you'd done it in the last, you know, hour. I love that face, that joy at opening a door. Seems simple, right? And yet I think there is a power in open doors. You know, you remember it, hearing the voice perhaps of your mother when you were a child and out playing, calling that it was time to come home for dinner. Or perhaps it's the easy swing of the door opening for a friend who is such a good friend, they can just walk in your house. Or maybe it's the joy that you feel when your young adult children open that door back up when they've been gone for too long. There's power in an open door. And 
I understand. There's certainly a time and a place for good boundaries. I get that. But I bet if you close your eyes right now, you could remember a time when a door opened and it revealed a beloved face or somebody who brought dinner or needed relief or who knows what. There's power in an open door. Now, throughout much of our world's history and its many cultures, open doors were expected. They were part of the gig. For the people of God, for example, in the Old Testament, they understood themselves as sojourners. And that gave them both motivation and a sense of responsibility to provide protection and care for others. The early church exploded in growth, due in no small part to the fact that they opened doors to those who were poor and those who were sick and those who were powerful and those who were wealthy, all the same. In fact, for most of the history of the church, from the 4th century to the Reformation up until the 17th century, the ways that the people of God opened doors to others was critical to the spread and to the credibility of the gospel. And if you think about it, it might not be a surprise because we serve a God who loves to open doors. So I want you to turn with me for just a minute to Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 38. If you have a Bible with you, that's great. Otherwise, you can follow along with me on the screens. But in this short three verses, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he tells a simple parable that I want to just unpack for a couple of moments. He begins, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come in, come and wait on them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this parable opens with an image that would have been really familiar to the people who were hearing Jesus tell the story the first time. In the ancient Near East, there was a rigid sense of separation between those who had property and those who served. In fact, I think it's kind of difficult for us today to get our head around those differences because in America, we have always held a high value for equality. But for me, it was really helpful to get a sense of this dynamic uh, through an actual historical drama that is still available on Netflix. How many of you, either in the room or online, have ever seen Downton Abbey? Come on, let's see the hands. Let's see them high. Yes, where are my Downton Abbey people in the room? Yeah. 
This is a historical drama that was set in 1917, and it explores the social hierarchy between the family that lives in the estate and then the whole community of people underneath who serve and make it possible. You can kind of see that, right, from this uh, logo. Uh, and there are countless scenes in this over the six seasons, I think, that they were on. It's a British drama where you would see servants waiting, waiting for someone to arrive, waiting to serve dinner, waiting to help somebody get dressed. It's really the gig. And it's a fascinating look at how rigid those roles were. It helped me get a better handle on a little bit how this might feel. And if you've never watched it, today's a perfect day to go catch an episode on Netflix. Now, I have to admit, this is a picture of God that I was very comfortable with most of my life. God was distant maybe pleasantly benevolent at times, but demanding and probably a little difficult to please. If God said jump, my answer was, how high? In fact, I spent much of my energy for a lot of my life trying to keep God happy, or it felt like bad things would happen and I would get in trouble. Now, let me say something. Do not hear what I'm not going to say in a minute. Because on the one hand, I do think this picture captures something accurate about the relationship between God and humanity. I don't want many, any misunderstanding. There is a power differential between the triune God and his creation. I and God are not equals. We are not buddies anymore, and we are not peers any more than Benjamin and his dad were peers that day at the door, right? One of them has resources and power and strength and knowledge and understanding, and the other one of them giggles every time the door opens. And guess who you are in that equation? The little one, which is kind of offensive, a little bit at times to my soul, and yet is what is true. Isaiah 40 says it this way, to whom will you compare me, says God? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Implied, not you. Lift up your eyes, just take a look at the heavens. Who created all of this? Who brings forth the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name? Because of God's great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. And so I do think there's a way that perhaps in our culture, at least in Christian culture, we've overcorrected at times to imagine that God is our peer. That is not what God is saying. And I think that's part of why Jesus starts the parable the way he does. However, what happens next is Jesus at Jesus's finest because he flips all of it on its head. I don't know if you heard it, so let me read it one more time. Verse 37, Jesus said, it will be good for those servants 
whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. Did you hear it? It's shocking. It's like imagining Lady Grantham telling Barrows, Bar- Bar- Barrow, Barrow to sit down and she'll serve him dinner. That's a one more Downton Abbey reference, just in case you missed it. It's shocking. And the people who were listening to Jesus in this moment would have been stunned. What? The master? The master will ask us to recline and sit at the table? See, the host in the parable uses that power not to be served, but to serve. The master becomes the host for the people who are most on the edges in the story. Now, notice this requires the servants to do something radical, something that servants aren't used to doing. Do you know what it is? Sit down. They have to recline at the table. And I don't know about y'all, but that is uncomfortable. Anybody else prefer serving over receiving? Or am I the only one in the house? Yeah. Do you know why? I think there's a lot of reasons that some of us like serving more than being served. I'll tell you, here's true confessions from your pastor. Uh, Sitting down requires me to give up control. It puts me now in a posture of waiting. And that's vulnerable, isn't it? To wait and to imagine, are people going to actually come serve me? Is God going to show up? Or is this just a big cosmic joke? What if God doesn't do what I, other people say he's going to do? Am I going to end up looking like a fool? See, I think that's why in some ways it's so much easier to stay in control and to be the servant. But this is God's heart. God says, I actually want to show up and open the door for you. Now, we're going to see this dance over and over and over again in Scripture. God is the guest and God is the host. God is vulnerable and God is serving. It's one of the things that makes Christianity distinct among all the world religions because we serve a God who does not demand service in and of itself, but actually turns and blesses the ones who he created. God opens the doors and serves enemies as if they were friends and welcomes those who are far away and strangers. And then we're invited into that same dance of receiving and giving, being welcomed and welcoming. Now, historically, that act of opening doors or welcoming is called hospitality. Now, Webster defines this as the friendly and generous reception of guests, visitors, and strangers. Now, I have to tell you, for me, this conjures up images of centerpieces and dinner parties and small talk, and I just want to go, does anybody else? I mean, I'm not, I don't do centerpieces. 
Hobby Lobby makes me break out in the sweats. This is not my gig. Some of you, it's your gig, and I love it. I love it. I walked in yesterday. We had a beautiful funeral. Nancy Cullen had decorated the room, and it looked so beautiful and so inviting. And I love it that for people who can do that, that's not me. And I also want to be clear, that's a little piece of hospitality. It's like this much. But Christian hospitality is something way bigger and way deeper. I love how Fuller Seminary defines it. Listen to this. It's the offer or extension of community to those who do not have the standing to expect it, especially those who are vulnerable. It is an offer to identify with outsiders and treat them like they're insiders. Isn't that beautiful? That, friends, is Christian hospitality. It's what made the early church so distinctive. Now, it may seem like an insignificant practice, and I think it's a practice we have lost in the last few centuries, and it's only been exacerbated in the last two years, right? Between the pandemic and the tribalism of this moment, we have gotten very comfortable with closed doors and feel a lot safer behind them. I listened to an author who I respect this last week, and he said it used to be that we said good ran through our own hearts and we pursued anything that made us feel good. Today, good and evil are defined by the line that runs between us and that other group. Biblically, God says good and evil the line between them runs through every heart. And the only way we will recapture our humanity is if together we start to see both the image of God in the other and my own brokenness. I think that's why Joshua Jip talks about biblical hospitality and God's heart. And he says the God of the Christian scriptures is a God of hospitality who extends hospitality to all God's people. In fact, he goes on to say in his book, and I have come to agree, that hospitality is actually the story of God. If you start thinking about it, it has re-energized and transformed how I'm reading my Bible these days. And I would invite you to join us in that over the next season. It may sound a little radical, but I have come to agree with author J.D. Greer when he says hospitality is a power so explosive it can change the world. And that's why we're going to focus on it. On and off over the next year, in the year of 2022, we're going to work to think about hospitality because I think the world is languishing in isolation and loneliness, rage and starvation, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I am. I need, we need to receive the welcome of God, which is where we're going to start. We're going to spend four weeks talking about how God welcomes us. Because if we don't get grounded in that space, then doesn't matter. We aren't going to have any sense of fuel to turn and welcome others. 
And then we're going to shift and we're going to talk about how radical it is that actually God welcomes, actually God comes as guest to us. And then throughout the next year, we'll spend in different seasons, we'll spend time looking at the power of hospitality and what happens when we extend it and what happens when we reject it. And we'll start strengthening our muscles that are required to actually extend that kind of hospitality. We'll talk about even, are there times when doors should be shut? But today, today, I want to remind you, I want to remind you that this is the heart of the God we worship. That our God loves to open doors. And so I want you, if you would, take a moment with me and just close your eyes. I want you to hear the words of God as if they were being spoken directly to you right now. So whether you're online or you're in the room, just settle your heart for a second. And I want you to hear God's voice. Come. All you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you keep spending your resources on what is not bread? And why do you labor on things that don't satisfy your soul? Listen. Listen to me. Eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear. Come to me. Listen so that you can live. God, I ask even right now that we would maybe have the imagination to see the door swinging open. God, we confess, I confess, that so often the door between you and I is shut because I'm the one who's shut it. I'm the one who has held you at arm's length. I am the one who has resisted sitting down and letting you come near to me. And so I pray that even now, as we hear your invitation, you would woo us, that we would turn and be open again to letting you draw near, to being fed at the table, to being welcomed with all the affection of your heart, not the distant, unforgiving, angry, judgmental God, but the Father who waits for our smile. God, would you 
over the next several weeks. Teach us how to receive your welcome, to come home, to bring you our longings and our hopes and our fears, to come to you when we are wounded, to come to you when we are weak, to come to you when we are lost. May we hear again your voice saying, trust me. I am bigger than you could imagine. I love you wider than you could ever expect. I hold all of the universe in my hands and I delight in you. May we build our life upon that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.